Outside the Box. Hello and welcome to July's Outside the Box. I'm wearing clothes for the first time in 36 hours. <laughs> yeah, Monday was a real treat. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey and Jen are absolutely delighted with that news. Welcome, Jen. Hello. And welcome, Mick. Wait, wait. Welcome to the still quite hot and sweaty party that is outside the box. Got a lot to talk about this month, mostly dramas. I don't know if any you guys have watched any comedies, fingers crossed. But let's start and crack on with, I think, the thing that we've all seen, so we've all got the most to say about, which is Sherwood. BBC drama, six parts, still available to see on the iPlayer, although if you haven't seen it yet, probably stop listening now or jump forward a bit because we are going to talk about it with spoilers written by James Graham who grew up in a village near Mansfield and based on a true story that took place in that area about a series of murders and a hunt for what turned out to be two perpetrators my best mate was working as a reporter for the Nottingham Post at the time, so I knew this story. He rang me once and said, are you aware that there are two different men hiding in Sherwood Forest right now? <laughs> and it was such a, a gleeful a conversation I had with him. I used to do stand-up at the time, and I actually wrote a joke about it, although I've been trying really hard to remember what it was, and I can't. It was probably massively inappropriate, so best not. <laughs> super starry, super starry. Leslie mm. Manfield, David Morrissey, Alan Armstrong, Claire Rushbrook. Joanne Froggett, Mark Addy, Philip Jackson, Pip Torrens. Uh, but special mention to Lorraine Ashbourne and Adil Akhtar, who I think is fast becoming our Sam Rockwell, as in he's the guy who turns up in a relatively small role and utterly steals the show and makes mm. everything, I'd say, approximately 10% better just by virtue of the fact that he is in it. About murder in a mining town that is riven by historical strife. This one linked to the miners' strike, obviously. It's a different side to the miners' strike than we usually see. It's about miners that weren't striking, because obviously anybody who doesn't know the history of it, the way that the miners' strike was called didn't involve a full vote, led to some suggestions that it was illegal. The NUM went out on strike, but other unions didn't and continued to work. That did not go down well. You will hear the word scab used in this quite a lot. The ending, as I knew, because like I say, I followed uh, this story at the time, is kind of downbeat, as in the murder didn't turn out to be anything to do with any of the things that they thought it was about. And therefore, you know, the history of the minor strike actually wasn't particularly central to it. And also the two murders weren't linked in any way. Into that comes this story about spy cops. And it is here that I have problems because I think up until this point, I think that Sherwood had been absolutely fantastic so maybe we'll talk about spy cops in a bit but why don't you tell me mick and jen what your initial feelings were outside of that i thought it was fucking brilliant i loved it i, I thought it was incredible and and we will talk about the spy cops because that that again for me is the only bit that i was a bit like when it reached the conclusion of that particular strand of the storyline but there's a lot of that stuff about the history of the minor strikes that I didn't know, and I sat and watched it with my mum, and some of the more up-to-date stuff she didn't know, either about the um, the reports, where they basically say that they just sort of picked on a random industry to, you know, create a war, basically. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff was, like, not massively familiar subject matter to me, 
and I thought it was really, really well done. I thought the acting was incredible. I couldn't like pick one person and say like I just thought they were all brilliant, and it, I found it like quite haunting actually. The ending of it, I found it genuinely quite sort of like it really stayed with me. I felt quite affected by it in a way that I didn't really expect to, and I guess I would compare it a bit to. Deadwater Fell or something like that where it's sort of presented as something that's about a crime when in fact it's nothing to do with actually like the crime it's it's like a much bigger kind yeah of that sort of takes a back seat thing. doesn't it yeah mm. yeah oh I mean it starts like it's going to be a conventional murder mystery and that is absolutely yeah. not what it is yeah. yeah I thought it was brilliant I thought the writing was brilliant I thought that I, I really really I feel like enjoyed is like the is probably the wrong word, but I I thought it was really really good. I, I I don't really apart from the spy cops thing, which we'll chat about. I don't have anything bad to say about it. Mick, I think James Graham has written an incredible slice of television. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was really well studied. I thought there was lots of stuff in there that a lot of people wouldn't know, like quite au fait on the minor strike, done quite a lot of research into it. But I know a lot of people of my age and in this country will not. And I think it's really important because it does still cause these divisions. And I think he covered it really sensitively, really beautifully. I thought the performances across the board were absolutely astonishing. And I don't really have anything to add on the good side to what you both said. I would say that there were two things that jarred with me, not just the spy cops thing. The other thing is Adil Akhtar's character murders a woman and then we are meant to feel sympathy for him. He keeps saying it was an accident, it was an accident, and then he gets to control his own narrative. And it just felt like absolutely something that would happen, but I am very sick of seeing. That's interesting because Hmm. what she says to him to, and I'm putting this in quotes, make him snap... Mm. is so terrible and so horrible that it feels out of character even for a character that isn't that hasn't particularly I mean she's a Tory do you know what I mean she's not seen as being a particularly caring nice person but even so what she says to him seems so outrageous that it seems to be put in as a defense to his actions for doing it yeah you still don't get to murder someone yeah (laughs) yeah no I'm Um, not saying you you do but what I'm saying is it felt like they were saying but it was a tiny bit hurtful, a tiny bit hurtful, because nope. she said this terrible thing. Yeah. Oh, don't care. Also, the, on, on a deal that time, his son, there's a really weird bit, and I wonder if you two notice it as well, because I do think he is absolutely incredible. If if I was to have to choose someone who's the best in it, it would be him or David Morrissey, friend of the show. But there's a bit where he tells his son, he's had, like, the murderer tried to kill him, and his son just goes, oh, do you want to look at my new Bluetooth, Dad? And you're like, what the actual fuck? Mm. It's so weird. Yeah. It feels that jarred me a little bit too. I love the Manville, Leslie Manville. She's amazing. She, yeah. She's incredible in it and I, I just really like her anyway. But the thing that I discovered whilst watching this and I was obviously like Googling like who's in it, blah, blah, blah. A director is like a month older than me. Yeah, yeah. he always plays someone <laughs> and way older than himself. <laughs> yeah. Playing like a man in his 60s or something like that and, and quite convincingly too. Like, yeah. Maybe I should have said he's our Chris Bauer. In that sense, he's the guy that always plays someone in his like late <laughs> yeah. 40s. He was born looking 40. Yeah. Funny you should say that about tensions still exist today. I, I'm going to have to be cagey about what I say here, but I used to work in an office where one of my colleagues was from Yorkshire and had 
seen the minor strike from that side. And another one of my colleagues was from Nottinghamshire and his dad had continued to work during the minor strike. And they fucking hated each other. Mm. And I always wondered if that's where it came from, some sense of, you know, my dad went on strike and your dad didn't. It's telling, isn't it? Like, even across the countryside... The literal scars made in the countryside by mining have not healed yet. And the metaphorical scars haven't Mm. healed either. Yeah. So talking of metaphorical scars. So when I did the interview with Alison and Helen, I had actually Mm. seen the end of Sherwood. So I knew how it ended and I wasn't happy. And I was hoping that Alison had seen the end of it, but she hadn't. So we had to talk about it in a somewhat hypothetical If it ends this way, because I didn't want to spoil it for her. And obviously I didn't want to spoil it for everybody else. But the point I was trying to make is they always make the spy cop a woman in dramas. And Mm. therefore it completely takes away from one of the key issues, as we discussed. And that is that your womanhood as a victim is what makes it worse. You can get pregnant by one of these guys. Or you can be like forced to waste your best childbearing years by one of them. And therefore, having the victim, which in this case is Philip Jackson, I suppose, of the spy cop subterfuge, is only telling half a story. Also, it makes the cop more sympathetic, I think, as well. And I don't know if I would have felt this way if I hadn't heard your interview. So I think a lot of people who don't know that much about spy cops possibly won't have the same feelings. But I thought it was unfortunate that they made the spy cop a woman because... Obviously, as you say, it's a different kind of situation. But also the the really, really bad stories that we've heard, they have been men. Mm. Those spy cops were men. And just the stuff like that, that they talked about in your interview about like, you know, which, by the way, everyone should listen to if they haven't yeah, already, because it is like incredible. Thanks. About like, you know, it's seen as like, a, they're seen as like perks of the job kind of thing. Yeah. I, I kind of thought you don't get that sense from it by making the spy cop a yeah. woman. And that is a very real thing that happened. And the other thing, exactly as you said, Hannah, is I think that they invited us to have more sympathy for her yeah. than perhaps we would hearing some of the other stories. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Mick sent me an email as soon as she found out who the spy cop was in this. A raging email. <laughs> <I'm> furious. <laughs> so feel free to chip in, Mick. I don't really have anything to add to what you've both really eloquently covered there, apart from, yep, absolutely listen to Hannah's interview with Alison and Helen. It's incredible and just, like, horrifying. But I would also say there is another spy cop in this, and we're also made to feel sorry for him. Yeah, good point, yeah. Hmm... And there's a lot of defending it as these guys are just doing their jobs. Guys using the gender neutral term there um, very tellingly. But they're just doing a job. They're just trying to find information. And again, it's covered in Hannah's brilliant interview. The fact that they weren't infiltrating far right organizations or terrorism or any of that. They were they were trying to. Like infiltrate the minor strike, Greenpeace, the um, Greenham Common, all of these sort of left wing liberal societies endeavors movements is really telling and that is something that Sherwood absolutely neglects to cover mention even hint at one thing I think is really interesting is that they've said they're gonna do a second series of it how really how yeah how are they gonna do that I'm interested in that as soon as it says season one you're always like oh they're gonna do something else and I'm the same Jen I like where are they gonna go standalone yeah yeah yeah, when I heard it, I was like, "Oh, I wonder if you if they do if they'd pick like another thing and make them like standalone kind of 
you know, yeah. scenarios, whatever. Yes. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But then I was a bit like, but this is so, like, specific. Mm. Yeah. I just can't imagine how you would recreate that. I don't know. Maybe that's why I'm not making fantastic drama <laughs> for the BBC, guys. <laughs> I lack the imagination. If that is the case and their theme is Spy Cops, then I'm going to send them a copy of Jeep Deception because they need to do it better next time. You'd hope the BBC had read it. But... Interesting. Interesting if they made it a Spy Cops thing. Hmm. So, uh, you can have that for free, uh, writers of Sherwood. I think it's um... called Sherwood, so they're more likely to make it a Nottingham thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, there's that, yeah. Maybe someone will finally investigate whether there are chickens living in Sherwood Forest, as I was led to believe by the Disney cartoon <laughs> Robin Hoods. I was like, where's she getting that from? What's that? Okay. I've got a couple of things to mention that are on Channel 4. I don't think either of you have watched them. Uh, and Ferdus. Suspect, which is also super starry, based on a Danish drama starring James Nesbitt, Ben Miller, our friend Neve Algar, Anne-Marie Duff, Richard E. Grant. It's half-hour episodes, and it, it's a good choice because, as you know, as Michaela Cole showed so brilliantly in I Will Destroy You, you can try and do a bit more concept within half an hour because it's mm. more easily contained. Or, indeed, as the Inside Number 9 men show every time, you know, can't necessarily stretch a concept to an hour, but also sometimes a concept might eat up too much of your available time to be showing other stuff. So, it's these half-hour mm. episodes, and from what I saw, I watched two. They essentially function as two-handers in single locations, which wouldn't necessarily work for something that was really densely plotted. It's a murder mystery, so I'm not that interested in it i mean it's got all of those people in it that said most of those people hadn't really been in it by the time neve algar's in the second one and she's absolutely cracking but i have to say my biggest problem with this is i don't want james nesbitt particularly as an actor he doesn't really do it for me had it been somebody else maybe i might have liked it more but i gave up after two and i switched my attention instead my attention not my affection but here we go to The Undeclared <laughs> War, which is a more conventional six mm. episodes, hour long structured piece. I mean, in many ways, great. It's topical. In fact, it's almost uncanny in parts. It's set in 2024 and the PM has been ousted by a backbench rebellion led by a character played by Adrian Lester. So he's now the prime minister. Who would have thought that would happen? A eh? well, <laughs> um, Also... <laughs> You know, I'm pretty sure this is all written and filmed pre-Russia's second invasion of Ukraine. But in this, Russia is conducting a cyber attack on UK systems. So it's set in GCHQ, essentially. Mmm, sexy. We'll, we'll move on to that later. <laughs> it's written by Peter Kaminsky, who directed Wolf Hall, which explains the presence of Mark Rylance. It's okay. There are some good performances in here. Simon Pegg, Alex Jennings, who is criminally underused. Kerry Godleyman turning out another good drama performance again. I can't remember who it was that said to me that Kerry Godleyman was turning into a really great... I think it was Rosie Cavaliero that said that to me. And she is. The lead is relatively unknown. Hannah Kalike Brown. Every single scene she has with Mark Rylance is gold it is absolutely lovely they are great together but the biggest problem this has is it's a big drama about big issues but it's set in gchq and keyboards are not sexy they really aren't and they try and create this sort of idea of a 
Okay, let's go into a mind palace in the same way that thinking isn't particularly sexy television. You know, (laughs) (laughs) unless it's Friday Night Lights or The Leftovers, thinking is not sexy. But anyway, and they're also talking about something that most people don't understand. Most people don't understand coding and all of that stuff. So they've tried to kind of create this like mind palace, like I say, where she wanders through you know, a real building and opens doors and all of that. And she opens a door onto like a swimming pool or whatever. But it all makes it look a little bit like a building society advert. It didn't really do it for me. It could have been better. However, if you've got nothing to do and you just want to watch some telly and you want to watch Mark Rylance be lovely, I mean, you don't get to see him often on telly. So he is here. So make of that what you will. I watched one episode of that oh, and you? I watched one episode of the... Basically, I've watched one episode of everything apart from Sherwood this month. Um, I watched one episode of... What is it called? Suspect. You just talked about it. Suspect. Suspect as well. I didn't want to continue with that. It's a bit too suicide It's a bit too dead girly and I was just like, I can't... No. Mm. No, thanks. I, t- I didn't even get through the first episode of The Undeclared War. I couldn't even get through the... I was, I was so bored. It was really hot, system. Jen, and I literally could not be asked <laughs> to get up off the sofa. <laughs> so if that happens again, and you want to see Mark Rylance, there you go. I saw Mark Rylance on the telly recently, and that's because I watched Netflix's Don't Look Up, and I thoroughly enjoyed Mark Rylance yeah, in it. Yeah, he's great He's in very that. weird yeah. in it, but lovely, yeah. He's in Bing, the uh, the CBeebies cartoon that I fucking hate. Uh, oh. Yeah, whining little bastard. He can't anyway. he can't win them all, but he's got an incredible hit rate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he certainly does. And as I discovered this year, and I think this was the thing that my nephew was almost the thing he was most blown away by Jerusalem can still do a handstand over a bucket, lowering his head into the bucket, and then bringing his head back down and going back from a handstand. That, that is quite impressive. That is pretty impressive for a man of his. For anyone, I would for say. For anyone, that's yeah. Quite impressive. <laughs> for a man of his enormous mind, that's what I'm going to say. That's it. So you just told me thinking wasn't sexy, but I don't believe you. <laughs> Mickey, talking of things that I've seen on the stage, <clears throat> David Harbour, why don't we so have a little chat? You chose to go to Paris, right? We're going to have no, this out now. You chose to go to Paris <laughs> rather than come to this play. And oddly, you were also choosing to go to Paris with your husband after I had said to you, do you want to go to Paris and look at one specific painting that I want to look at in the Louvre, which is about <laughs> a shipwreck? I mean, what, what could be more romantic? Listeners, welcome to the breakdown of Standard Issue Podcast, <laughs> as you know it. <laughs> I've made some clearly appalling choices recently. And for the sake of all of our jobs, I wholeheartedly apologise, Hannah. Hold my hands up. Mistakes were made. All on me. Okay. In that case. But you want me to talk about Stranger Things Part 2, don't you? Stranger Things 4, Part 2. Yeah. So you may remember that four episodes in, I was a little bit disgruntled with Stranger Things 4 on The Last Outside the Box. Plot-wise, it was starting to sharpen, but one of my big sighs about it was the overlong length of each episode. And so, do you want to guess how long the ninth and final episode of this season is? Two hours. I'm going to say full film. Yeah, two and a half hours. Two hours and 20 minutes. Wow, that's not an episode. It's too long as a film, as we've clearly established on Flicking and uh, on Rated or Dated. No one needs that. The plot did not need that. 
And even given the extended time and some goodbyes to characters, we were still left with a plethora of underdeveloped characters ready to continue to fight Vecna. Because, yeah, even after all that, the big bad of the Upside Down was very much not done for by the end of the season. And more than that, it's really hard to stay attached to even the most developed characters. Eleven, Will, Hopper, Dustin et al. When, even with so much screen time, they don't get enough screen time. Except for Steve. There's always room for Steve. In contrast to its villain, Vecna, who is all sinew and bone, Stranger Things 4 is just kind of bloated. But, you know, I sat through it. And was I not entertained? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Despite my griping, I was entertained. It's undoubtedly entertaining. And it's more grown-up vibe these days means it's more Stephen King than Steven Spielberg. Apparently... Finally, age 45, I'm finally able to handle a little bit of horror (laughs) and I became accustomed and then sort of numb to the creeps and the gore. It still has excellent wow-inducing moments of innovation and occasional flashes of the sense of humour that made its initial outing so watchable. And, you know, I remain, of course, a child of the 1980s, so even the overdone references, oh man, are they laboured, but even the overdone references to that era do hold a certain sort of nostalgic charm. If you listen to Flicking recently, you know how I feel about nostalgia. It also captures that 80s paranoia and fear of the unknown. Potential nuclear war, anyone? Ooh. I know Hannah's with me on this one. We were literally just talking about Zephyr Zachariah. <laughs> exactly. It captures that really well. And given that, you know, that this sort of sense of unease is very much part and parcel of 21st century life, Stranger Things' predicted future of everything dark and on fire unless the kids saved the day, does kind of feel like a statement on climate change as well. Also, it got Kate Bush to number one. That's excellent. Yeah. Apparently, season five is the final showdown between our plucky Hawkins residents and the Upside Down. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be watching. Fair enough. Thank you. You're welcome. And David Harbour is henching it, by the way, but you told me that he's not hench anymore. He had a bit of a dad bod on when I saw him. Nothing wrong and with And I literally saw him in his pants. <laughs> I saw him in his trousers, just trousers, as did like the millions of viewers who watch Stranger Things 4. There's a really lovely line between him and Eleven, actually, because, you know, David Harbour has, throughout Stranger Things, carried a little bit of timber. And Eleven goes to him, you look, and he goes, not fat anymore. <laughs> and it is, it's very sweet. It's a tender moment. When I was going to see Madhouse, I bumped into Sinead. Stop going on about it. <laughs> I bumped into Sinead, who I'd interviewed outside it, because she doesn't need to turn up till quite late, because she's only in the second half. And she said there's quite the queue at stage door. Right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I really like Paris. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back. So, something else that more than one of us has watched, or more than one of us has watched quite a lot of it, is The Lazarus Project. So why not look at that page rather than the other pages that I'm currently looking at? Oh, oh. a little inside glimpse into the workings of Standard Issue there. And my note-taking, yeah. Okay, so it's on Sky, or now it is a Sky original Sky has a lot of great telly, but it tends to be stuff that's either originally HBO or stuff they've made with HBO. Their original stuff doesn't always stand up. I have some issues with the last episode of this that I will get to. 
But the Lazarus Project, nonetheless, I don't think that takes away from the fact that this has been one of the best original Sky dramas for absolutely ages, I thought. Starring Papa Essiadou as George, who's living in contemporary London and becomes aware that time appears to have jumped. He seems to have gone backwards in time, but nobody else around him sees aware of it. He does a bit of Googling to find out what's going on, and that brings him to the attention of the Lazarus Project, a sort of shadowy organisation that has discovered a way to essentially reset time if an extinction-level event or an event that is going to put the world on a really dangerous course happens. I mean, it's not you can go back in time and kill Hitler type thing. You can go back to a checkpoint, essentially, which is up to a year from the last time that time was reset. Some people have been inoculated. That's why they know that they are aware of it. And some people, like George Papa Essiadou, who is excellent in this, and also Shiv has become aware of this, and that is another absolutely great performance by Rudy Mm. Darmalingam. Those two are the absolute highlights of this, I think. Like all good sci-fi, it asks questions about what the repercussions of fucking around with stuff like this are. The moral question of just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I think Vinette Robinson's plot in this, Vinette plays a character called Janet. I'm going to try and de- be not too spoilery with this in case people haven't seen it. And Jen, I don't think you have seen it. Well, Imagine so. what might happen to a woman's body in the course of a year and then you have to go back in time and the effect that that would have on you. And that is what happens to Janet over and over and over again and I think Fanette Robinson is incredible in this Caroline Quinton getting the meatiest role I've seen her have in absolutely ages as the woman in charge also Tom Burke, Brian Gleason. so good cast it's got some big big action scenes but it's got more of a Jason Bourne aesthetic to it than a Bond aesthetic to it you know like Bond always has a gadget whereas Jason Bourne always has just a biro and a shitty putt-putt moped, and that's how he's going to get away. more contemporary Bond, then. I think Daniel Craig's Bond is much more like that. Yeah, but the Bourne films are a lot more lo-fi. They're not, of course, but they feel slightly more lo-fi, because you're like, oh, the only thing he's got to defend himself with is a rolled-up newspaper. Let's see how this goes. When George is on the rampage in Romania, it feels very much like that. The last episode reads or watches to me like somebody said, I think we can crack a second series out of this. And it was rewritten because I feel many of the questions about the repercussions that should be faced, particularly by George, weren't necessarily dealt with. Maybe they'll be dealt with in series two, but I felt it was tied up a little too neatly for my liking. But up until that point, I thought it had been cracking. Mick? Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I think... I think with time travel stuff and with sci-fi it's always gonna throw up questions and for me it was questions as like sort of banal as how did he get out of that parking space and is there a good time to have a baby if you work for Lazarus and how fucking good is that one week arms training George had and why didn't they also teach him to use his brain that was the big question for me there are some you know plot holes that are quite easy to pick open a bit further but i also think quite easy to gloss over i forgive it quite a lot it doesn't matter that's it they were musings Mm. rather than i found it 
interrupted my enjoyment of it at all. It's so pacey. The performances across the board are incredible. I agree with you with who you've picked out, but would say that actually Tom Burke as Rebrov is my favourite. I think his deadpan, dry humour really, really tickled me. Could be the northern accent as well, obvs. I thought he was amazing. Yeah, I really liked it. It's interesting what you said about the final episode, because I think the big question it raises throughout the series is who are the good guys yeah like we're meant to be rooting for george but he is an enormous Mm. felon for a a huge sway of the plot right he does stuff really selfishly really self-interestedly when he's supposed to be part of a group that are socialists right they're working Mm. for the greater good basically and he doesn't and i thought it was very telling that what i came away with was there are men in the lazarus project who will absolutely bend the rules because they want to whereas the women in the lazarus project will get on with a broken heart because they need to follow the rules to save humankind and i thought oh same as it ever was yeah but yeah the big question of who are the good guys it's really interesting and it isn't resolved but by the end of the series they're all on the same team again and you're right how is that going to pan out I'm going to be finding out, though, because I liked it. George has to make a number of decisions that he knows won't matter in the long run because they can be undone. He can undo these decisions. But once you've made that decision and you've done that thing, how would that scar you? And that, I felt, wasn't necessarily questioned so much. And, of course, some of the decisions he makes that he can undo... The people he makes them about or are included in that will remember. And that's the key thing. It isn't just like when time gets yeah. reset, most of the people, most of us, for, for, to put it in like context of real life, most of us wouldn't even notice it had happened, right? But for the people who can and do notice it's happened, it is incredibly damaging. And I think that that's really good. It reminded me a bit of Russian Doll. There's a bit where they ju- there's a few uh, episodes where they just do the loop again and again and again, like with Janet's storyline yeah. and in the last episode with something that George does and it just gets played again and again and again. And you can see it's taken its toll. And I think they do that really well. But yeah, where, is his, where are his consequences? Yeah, and it's hard because I would like to watch more of this. So hooray. But also, you know, is it going to be like Russian Doll series? Yeah, too? yeah. Where I actually ultimately think maybe they should have left it at one. But like seriously, mm. great job from Papa Essiadu because mm. I still find myself rooting for George despite the fact that he's doing some truly, truly terrible stuff. Exactly that. Yeah, I suppose because you you wonder yourself, would I do that? Would I do that? You know, would I be this mm. terribly selfish person? Because also, there's there's two questions. Sometimes there are occasions where people are desperate for them to reset, you know, and that they're also desperate people for them for them not to reset. You know, mm. the Brendan Gleeson storyline I found quite touching in that sense. He's not called Brendan. Brian, the the That's, Brian Gleeson yeah. storyline I found quite touching from that point of view. Because, like I say, yeah. there are all these questions that come up. Like you can split up with your partner and go through that trauma and get reset and be married to them again and have to carry on going through that stuff over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also think it raises the question of like. When is love not enough? When when is love not a good enough excuse for terrible yeah. behaviour? And, you know, we discuss this quite a lot on standard issue. Love, in inverted commas, is using it as an excuse for some fucking appalling behaviour when it's not really love at all. It's ego, pride, stubbornness. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah, well, great. I'm glad you liked it, Mick. I did. Is it supposed to be COVID or is it supposed to be another sort of different pandemic type thing? I think it's sort it's MERS, it's MERS. Oh, right, so it's yeah. a similar sort of vibe to COVID. And uh, yeah, I mean, as, as you've only watched yeah. one episode, Jen. Oh, would, sorry, Jen, I, I didn't realise you. you don't, you've watched one. Tell me what you made of it then. Well, I had two, it's not my genre for a start. It's, I don't, I'm not really a sci-fi person. It's not person. mine either. Um, I really like Papa Essiadu. I think he's great. And from from the very small amount that I've watched, I thought he seemed really good. I liked the vibe of it. Sorry, I liked the feel the of vibe. it or whatever. Up until they start doing karaoke, and then when they start doing karaoke and being like, oh, "We're just normal people," then I was a bit like, "I don't want you to be normal people. I want you to be like." Yeah, maybe they're trying to be normal people, though. Yeah, Jen, I didn't... It, not, it, you know. it, it kind of it lost something for me a bit at that point. And the other thing I found a bit tricky, again, not without the sort of spoilery bits, when they're in the hospital in the first... In, in the first iteration of his... Looping. Looping. And I was just a bit like, oh, I don't know. I think it was maybe, like, too soon for me. For like a like, it's too close to the pandemic, but it's not different. Uh, Jen, the pandemic for is me gone to be like, oh, that's almost immediately different. Yeah, the pandemic's um, like as soon as you get to the second episode, it doesn't okay. matter. It's just because I just I was just like, but it wasn't like that. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It was it was too similar, but too different, and and it I watched jarred a bit for me. The first two of these on preview, and if they offer you two on preview, I always watch two, because you never know with the first one. You know, I would never like mm. to judge anything, particularly on one episode. And the first episode, I thought, oh, this is alright. You know, and the second episode, I thought, this is good. The third or the fourth episode, when Vinette Robinson turns up, I thought, oh, this is really good. That was the point at which I thought, this is actually excellent. So I would stick with mm. it, Jen. Yeah. Stick with it. Okay, that's interesting. That is interesting to hear. Would also recommend sticking with okay. it because I think it just gets better and better. Because also, you, like Hannah sort of hinted at, or we talked about the little niggles, the kind of like, oh, well, would that? You don't care anymore. It just, it's moving so yeah. fast that you're like, oh, well, that's gone. That question doesn't matter. That, you know, the fact that they base this bit on a pandemic doesn't matter and it does move very quickly. Okay, that's interesting. I've had a very frustrating month TV wise. I've watched a lot of the first It does this thing where it establishes these who all the characters are really quickly through one story that's happened to them. Mm. And from that one story, you can tell everything mm. about their personality. Like Shiv's one story, you're like, bang, mm. I understand mm. that guy, right, immediately, straight away. So it's actually, it, it's really economically told, I think. So uh, you don't have to do too much thinking. Mm. Don't be put off by the sci-fi wizardry of it because that is only the device that gets you... Well, like I say, like mm. all good sci-fi, it's just the device that gets you to the mm. moral questions at the centre of it. I'd also say on a kind of kind of moral level, Archie is a really cool female lead character as well because yeah. she's not got the normal or the usual or the fucking bored titless of it traits that you'd usually get of a woman playing this particular role. Yeah, did I say what she was called? Anjali Mahindra. That's it, yeah. She's excellent in it as well, actually. Right, yeah, let's finish on something delightful. Hey! Bang my hands together pointlessly because nobody else has watched it. Although, is Yosra it, is, is it a Bonnie's fan. Big Adventure? <laughs> <laughs> it is Only Murders in the Building back for series two. There's been five episodes so far. 
Only Murders in the Building is is on the American streaming channel Hulu, which is the people that make The Handmaid's Tale. You can't get Hulu over here. Over here, you have to watch it through Disney. And maybe some other places you can get it. I don't know. I'll leave that with you. <laughs> series one was Hulu's most successful, as in most downloaded series, which, if you consider it, made The Handmaid's Tale. Really? Is, yeah, it's pretty uh, strong going. Wowzers. So, Steve Martin, Martin Shaw, and Selena Gomez play three neighbours of a quite swanky building in New York. Oh my God, New York loves this. There were posters and billboards <laughs> and videos for this absolutely everywhere. They are all quite lonely and isolated. And in series one, when one of their neighbours is murdered, they decide to get together and make a true crime podcast about it. The first series was very much a satire of the nature of true crime stuff. That obviously wouldn't stretch to a second series. So the second series, the kind of unifying theme is the difficult second series. So there's loads <laughs> of meta jokes in there. I mean, the first series was full of, of cameos and guest stars. And some of those people are back. Nathan Lane, Amy Ryan, Tina Fey, plus some newcomers, Amy Schumer and Shirley MacLaine. I mean, this is just all joyful. Does this not? Yeah. Yosra said she watches it the whole time and just smiles. And that is absolutely, it's so warm. It reminds me of how Ghosts makes me feel when I watch it, in that it is family friendly, but it's not necessarily made for families. There is still stuff in there that some people might find quite sort of, oh, I'm not going to let my kids watch that. For example, like there is a scene in which Martin Short finds a box of sex toys and just runs around waving them, shouting "sex toys." That's in the first <laughs> in the first series. Uh, so maybe some people don't want their kids to see that. And it is about a murder, but nonetheless, I was going to say it is also about a murder. That's fine. <laughs> nonetheless, the style of humour is so relentlessly daft that it, it doesn't feel taxing in any way. It doesn't feel like you're being nasty to anyone in any way. It just feels lovely. I absolutely love it. Well, I don't have Disney, but I really want to watch this. So maybe I'll do some investigating on the thing you mentioned earlier, Hannah. Yeah, maybe. Not get back to anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Does anybody else have... Jen, you watched a lot of first episodes. Is that everything? I did watch another first episode of something else. uh, Blackbird on Apple TV, which is about the true story of a guy who... I don't know how you say this man's name. Taron Edgerton? Oh, yeah, he's quite famous. Yeah, Taron Edgerton. Yeah, Yeah, he played... He was in Rocket Man, wasn't he? He played... uh, Your man. The famous guy. Elton John, him, yeah. And it's got... uh, It's Ray Liotta's last role as well. And Greg Kinnear. And it's about a guy who... Like has been doing some naughty things he's involved in some drug dealing stuff and he gets sent to prison he gets caught and he gets sent to prison and then basically they're like look we'll we'll do a deal with you you can have less time in prison if you go into this maximum security place and you befriend this serial killer and find out like what he's Mm -hmm. what he's done with all the girls basically so we watched one episode of this because I was like, well, it's new, it's meant to be good, blah, blah, blah. And then it was just like, it's just the standard shit that pisses me off about everything is that there's... <laughs> Sorry, Jen, that's exactly my dad's rationale for what he would come back with from the video shop. What, the standard shit? were always terrible. <laughs> He'd say, well, it was in the new section and, and it says good things about it on the back. Well, so I just thought I'd give it a watch. Anyway, uh, it's... It, there's like one scene in particular that bothered me 
which is the same complaint that we have all made time and time again. The cop, Greg Kinnear, is going to find... You're aware that he's about to find the body of one of the victims who is a young girl. She's like, I don't know, I guess early teens. And she's in a cornfield. And they've obviously called him to say, look, we've found, we found the body kind of thing. And he's like, all right, cool. And they build the tension perfectly. Like, like it, it's horrifying. Like, you feel horrified watching it without seeing anything. And then they like, then they just show you wow. this dead girl, and I was just like, it just pissed me off. I was like, why have you done that? What was what, what is the sense of it? What is the sense of it? And it just always feels like you you didn't need to do that. You built the tension really well. We're not stupid. We know what is going on here. So you either think we're stupid, or you think we enjoy seeing dead girls. And maybe it's a bit of both. I don't know. Oh, there is a third option. You enjoy showing dead girls well yes they yes of course i suppose but i get i my rationale was they'd only do it if they thought people wanted to see it right i don't i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm wrong it bothered me i thought it was really unnecessary and gratuitous and on the strength of that i probably won't watch any more of it to be honest so with your feet or in this case your eyes Mm. yeah i did promise that i was going to watch we own this city but i just haven't got around to it i've heard some mixed reviews of it this is david simon's latest series set in baltimore i watched one episode of that as well (laughs) (laughs) to be clear i bloody love david simon but yeah i've heard mixed reviews it was a bit overblown it was a bit overdone and when i asked my brother who is watching it he said john bernthal's really good in it which isn't it's really good so Hmm. yeah I don't know, but I will watch it. I fell asleep, but I had COVID, so I, I'm not taking that as an indictment on on the quality of it. I will rewatch it at some point, but yeah, I I, okay. I can't give a fair judgment on that. I'm afraid. No, I mean to be fair, I think if our review, if Standard Issues review was that I couldn't be bothered to watch it, and you fell asleep <laughs> during it, and that was the view we put out into the world about David Simon's latest series, I think. Yeah, we should be ashamed of ourselves. We'd be, yeah. I've, I've not even tried, very if that makes it a better review. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Kobe would ever talk to us again. Oh. Okay, well, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Everybody can turn their fans on in three, <laughs> two, one. Outside the box.